You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right, Emily, we send you uh, to San Antonio and Destiny, we send you to Houston. You guys have been raised up. You've learned what it is to follow Jesus and be a disciple and make disciples, and now we're commissioning you and sending you to your new locations. And you'll be added to our Midtown alumni of those, so we're going to stay in touch too, all right? Look forward to that. Now, this morning we are actually, oh wait, one more family announcement, because I didn't know this was going to happen, but we have uh, Danny and Kathy Box are here, Jake's dad and mom, so (laughs) celebrating their 40th anniversary today. So be sure to say hi to them. And now you can put a face with a person that uh, many of us have been praying for regularly. So we've been praying for you guys a lot. Um, Even this morning in our prayer group, we did so again. So good to to see you guys here. We are going to end our series called Follows. We've been looking at this eight-week series of what does it look like to actually follow Jesus? What were some of the things that he said and he did? And what were the ways that the people that engaged with him as disciples started following him? And so today we're actually going to look at something a little bit different. We're actually calling it unfollow. So we're going to look at the, the fact that there's many times going to be in our lives temptations that tempt us to actually choose to unfollow Jesus. Now, we, that's kind of a new word for us, right? Unfollow. So, in Microsoft Word, which is where I do my little sermon notes, it doesn't think it's a word. So, it was like spell check throughout the whole sermon that I'm writing, right? But I looked up at, at Webster's and said, no, this is a word. We know what this word means. It's a modern word. And Webster's defines it as to stop, stop subscribing to the feed of someone or something on social media, right? So, we all know what it is because... We've all done it, haven't we? Haven't we done it? Come on, you can be real. So, so what we're going to do here, and I'd, I'd invite your participation, I'm going to ask you to tell me some reasons why you might want to unfollow someone on social media. And this is going to be great because this can be like group therapy. You don't have to point any fingers at anyone. You can just say a few things, and then you can not have to point anyone out. So just help me out. Like, what are some reasons to unfollow? Political. Yeah, that's always fun to get in those political spats. It's going to be another great season, I'm sure, running up to this next election. Too many cat pictures? Yes. See, and and pet owners would say too many kid pictures. So it's like, it goes both ways. It's kind of rough, right? What else? What are some other reasons why you just want to unfollow someone or kind of hide them? Too many selfies. Yeah, someone just all over the place. They always look glamorous. They're kind of narcissistic, right? What about like the overposter? Like someone just posting like millions of times a day, like you pretty much know what happened in every single day of their life. Like, I don't need to see what you ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like it's, it's just enough. Like we all have reasons, right, that we want to unfollow people. And it's kind of funny just to do it as a little illustration here at the start. But it's not actually very funny when we talk about unfollowing Jesus. And it's really a heavy topic that we're going to talk about today. Because I want to suggest and, and say that I believe that probably most of us, dare say all of us, at some point in our walk with Jesus are going to be tempted to unfollow him, to punt the faith or to give up in some way. I would dare to say that in this room right now that there's some of you who have been tempted. You'd say, yes, I have been tempted many times to just punt the faith and turn away from Jesus. I know there's some of you because I know your stories that you could actually tell me a story about your life about a time when you actually did decide to unfollow Jesus before coming back to him. And it's even possible in a room like this that there's someone who right now is being tempted to unfollow Jesus. And so that's a very, very serious subject. And the reason I can say with pretty pretty good confidence that it's going to happen to most of us, if not all of us, is because one, I've experienced it. (laughs) I've experienced times where my faith was challenged and I was tempted to unfollow Jesus and turn away from him. I've experienced it. Secondly, I can point to many people in my life 
who would say that's their story too, that they've been tempted to unfollow Jesus. And sadly, I can point to many friends who actually have. They've decided to, to punt their faith and unfollow Jesus. Third reason why I can say it with confidence is because the disciples that we read about, even them that were so close to Jesus, they faced the same temptation to unfollow Jesus. And we're going to look at one of those passages today in John chapter 6. Before we do, uh, let me pray. Father, I just pray for favor to communicate how meaningful this passage is to me and how relevant it is to us today. And I just invite you, you're our God who knows everyone's heart and you know everyone's circumstances. And so we just invite you to speak directly to each individual that you love today. Speak to us as we meditate on this story today. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we actually turn there in John 6, I'll give a little bit of the background. So the background before we kind of hop into this conversation that Jesus has, the background was that Jesus was kind of at the height of his popularity, like he was becoming very popular. He healed many people, and so lots of people are flocking and coming to him, so much so that in this passage, we actually see him trying to slip away and get away from people, get away just to be with the disciples and a smaller group of friends for a night. But all of a sudden, thousands upon thousands of people follow him, and they find him. And so that night, he chooses to do a pretty crazy miracle. He, he multiplies bread and fish and feeds this more than 5,000 people. It says 5,000 men. That doesn't even include the women and the children were there. So thousands and thousands of people, this miraculous thing where he feeds them all. But something happens after this miracle, people start to think that they want to make Jesus their king. And their motives start to change as to how they're trying to follow him. And Jesus picks up on it and because he knows that's not what he came to do in this visitation, that he didn't come to be their king in this way. So he slips away again, goes off by himself sends the disciples off, and later he connects back with the disciples. Of course, after walking on water to see them, <laughs> he gets back with them, trying to evade the crowds again, but then this another mob comes, and to, comes up to him again. And this time, Jesus looks at them, and he notices, and he knows their hearts, that what they're really doing is they're coming after him because they want to be fed. They want to see a miracle. They want to see something happen. They want to pursue him, maybe even to be their king, and by force, make him be their leader that would destroy the Romans. This is the motives of these people that are coming to him when he enters into this conversation with them about, and he takes, knowing that they're coming likely for bread because they want to see that bread miracle again, he takes that metaphor and he starts to talk to them about something that different, that you want to come to me just for this physical sustenance. You're going to eat, but then the next day you're going to be hungry again. But what I want to provide you is something that doesn't fit your physical needs, but I want to talk to you about your spiritual needs. And he calls himself the bread of life. And he says, I'm the bread of life. And if you eat of me, you're not going to be hungry again. In fact, if you believe in me and you eat of me, you're going to have eternal life, satisfied life, eternal life. And then he starts to talk about how what we really have to do is we have to, in fact, by believing him, we have to eat his flesh. And at this point, many of the people listening are kind of like, what is he talking about? And they start to grumble amongst themselves, like, what does this mean? Like, what do you mean, eat your flesh? And so that's where we'll pick up the story here um, in verse 48 of John chapter 6. He says, I am the bread of the life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread. I came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the rest of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, what can this man give us flesh? How can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. 
For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as a living father sent me and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. And finally here, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while he's teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. So Jesus basically doubles down on the metaphor, right? He's already said, like, you got to eat my flesh, and now he's going to talk about, no, you got to eat my flesh, you got to drink my blood. And so he doubles down on the metaphor to these people and making them question, like, what is this guy talking about? Now, the, the point of this sermon is actually not going to be to try to explain what he was talking about. So I want to let you know that we're actually going to move to some other verses beyond it because that's really what we're going to focus on today. But I feel like at least to mention two things real quick on this. So this is like our brief pause because we can't, we got to wrestle with this kind of confusing text and we'll come back to it a little bit later too. But the two most important things are that if you were to read all of John chapter 6, it's a very long conversation. One of the biggest things that you have to note is in this conversation Jesus is having with these followers, these people that are pursuing him, is he knows their hearts. He knows that they're coming him for false motives. He knows that they want a miracle, they want a sign, they want food. He knows that they're trying to make him king by force. They're trying to make him be something he didn't want to be, to do something he didn't want to do. And so given that he knows their motives, he's speaking to them rather harshly and using this metaphor to help them really force them to a decision point on what are they going to do. Are they going to follow him because they love him, because they trust him, or are they really just going to turn away because they're not going to see the things that they want to see or get the things that they want to get? Second thing that's really important is if you were to read the entire conversation, what Jesus is talking about when he says that you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, he's really talking about belief. Throughout the whole thing, it's just a whole confrontation about what they believe about Jesus. Do you believe that I came down from heaven, that God sent me, and that I'm the bread of life, that through me you can have eternal life? So it's not saying that you actually obtain eternal life by eating communion like we're going to have here today, or by literally somehow eating the flesh and drinking the blood. It was all about whether these people would choose to believe Jesus and take him at his word or not. Let me just show you a few verses where Jesus is actually talking about that within this context of this whole conversation. In verses 28 and 29, what must we do uh, to do the works that God requires? He answered, the work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. He's saying, believe, this is what this is about. Will you believe me? Again, later in the conversation, he goes to this next verse. Jesus declared, I'm the bread of the life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and you still do not believe. The whole issue for Jesus communicating with them is, will you believe? Belief is how we get eternal life. Or the next one here, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So very clearly what Jesus is talking about is not a literal manifestation of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. The whole thing is about, will you believe that I am who I say I am? Will you believe that I came down from the Father to be the bread of life, to give you what you need to inherit eternal life? So eternal life is not by the communion that we're going to take here later today. The communion or the eternal life is gained by simple belief, believing that Jesus is who he said he is and that he's provided a way to eternal life through his blood through his body. Now, Jesus wanted the crowd to believe, not to come to him for other reasons. I'll just pause for a moment before we kind of pick back up where we actually want to go with the sermon to say that I would say the same to you. I know that there might be some of you here today who, who've yet to believe. You've yet to truly put your faith in Jesus and believe that he is the way for eternal life. And I just urge you, like Jesus is urging these people, believe. Believe it today. 
Believe that Jesus made a way for you to have eternal life through his body being broken and his blood being spilled. That's what he's talking about here. The way to eternal life is through belief. And I hope that we'd all grow in our belief, even as we're going to see in this story as it progresses. Now we pick it up and we see this first temptation, I will call it, to unfollow Jesus. We'll pick back up in verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to him, does this offend you? Then what what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they're full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Then we get this great sentence here. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So from this time, the motives were parsed out of those who would believe and those who would not believe, and there was a number who decided to unfollow Jesus. Like this was it for them. They decided that they were just done, time to unfollow. And I think it would do well for us to take a moment and think about what were the things that were happening among them that made them consider unfollowing Jesus, and what would be the things among us today that would make us get to a point where we confront with Jesus to a point where we just decide, I'm not going to follow anymore. Or perhaps we're going to be at that point and be like others and choose to follow. This was a very specific case. So this time, their issue was that this was a hard teaching, right? This is what they say. This is very hard. I can't make sense of this. Maybe it was confusing. They said, who can accept this? And then Jesus takes it as not only was it hard, or that he's actually saying, you guys are taking offense at this. So there was something about what he was saying that was actually offensive to them. It could have been offensive for many reasons. Uh, number one, it sounded like cannibalism, right? So that could, have, that could have been the reason we're like, this is too hard. Like, I don't want to eat Jesus. Like, it could be that that was a sense of their confusion. But I actually believe there's much more there. There was certainly that part of it because it was such a rare teaching. But I believe there was more because remember, he was talking about eating the flesh and, and drinking his blood. He was talking about belief. So maybe it was because he was asking them to believe that he was sent from God. Multiple times in this conversations, he's saying that I am a man that is on earth, but I was sent from heaven. Maybe they couldn't believe it. Maybe that was offensive. Maybe it was because he was too narrow, proclaiming himself to be the only way to eternal life. Or maybe it was because he said he was that the way to eternal life was through belief and it wasn't through religion. Maybe the religious leaders were offended to say no. They asked him the question, what must we do to do the works of God? And he's saying, you just believe. And they're like, no, that's offensive. Or maybe it was because he claimed to be the one who could satisfy them forever, and they just couldn't bring themselves to believe that a man could do that. Whatever their specific reason, the hard teaching was difficult for them to accept. And if you followed Jesus long enough, like I have for 30 years in my life, going on year 31, you will say that you have been probably faced with similar temptations, times in your life when you've been tempted to unfollow Jesus because of some circumstance or some situation or some specific temptation in your life. And like I said before, sadly, if you follow Jesus long enough, you've probably seen friends who have reached this point and have chosen to unfollow Jesus. I can only speak for myself a little bit here to say where, where my temptations come. Uh, they generally come to me in a couple different ways. It's usually some time when, when I'm confused about something that Jesus said or something the Bible's asking me to do. There's some time when you read Jesus' words and you just have to think, I'm not sure that I'm willing to do that or I don't know how to make sense of what that means for me in my situation. 
and I wrestle with God and I'm and considering, like, not accepting some of the things that he has said, particularly when it comes to things that are so countercultural, things that he's asked us to do or believe or stances to take that just go against the cultural wave of our society. And I'm tempted just to, to buy into what the culture says because it would just be easier on me. As there are times, and this is actually more common for me, I experience season when I get upset that he's allowing something to take place in my life, something that he's allowing to take place in my life. And I may be praying, actually, usually it's in a time where I'm praying very earnestly for something to change and nothing's changing. And I'm wondering, where are you, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? It's in those times of, of wrestling with God in prayer, really unanswered prayer, difficult trouble that I'm tempted to believe that God doesn't love me, that God's not good, and I'm not sure I want to follow him. Or often for me, it's also just wrestling with a specific temptation. Something that in my flesh I want to do, but I know what God says about it, but I don't know if I want to trust him and I want to just do things my own way because it might feel good for a moment. Like those are the times for me where I've been tempted to unfollow Jesus and it's happened many times. Among my friends, I've had many who have decided to follow Jesus through similar situations, but I've also had many who have decided not to follow Jesus. And when I look at their lives and I look at the situations for those who've chosen to follow or those who've chosen to unfollow, one of the things that I see is some specific times of life when these things happen, specific periods of times that I feel like brings rise to the tension of what Jesus says and brings you to an opportunity to choose to follow, continue to follow, or to choose to unfollow. And I just say those three things, I'll just title them transitions, troubles, and temptations. When we're in the midst of transitions, in the midst of trouble or trials, in the midst of temptations, that's where we're going to be hit with this temptation to unsubscribe, to unfollow Jesus. To speak first about transition. Uh, in a time of transition, it's really tempting to unfollow Jesus because we're left to our, we've left our roots, we've left our relationships behind. We have to decide or discover all over again what we believe. Most prominent to me, I've seen this many times before, given my campus ministry past, this happens a lot during the transition from high school to college. And so college students step in, they've got a whole new set of friends, whole new set of experiences, lots of people around them that believe different things, including authorities and professors, and they get challenged in their faith. And I've seen many in that challenge, in the midst of that transition, choose to unfollow Jesus. Now, I'm not saying new ideas or new relationships at all are wrong, like we should love those new relationships, but I've found that many times the students weren't willing to do the hard work of seeking out what they believe and investigating and discovering and do the hard work of deciding if they're going to follow Jesus. It doesn't just happen in college. I've seen it equally as often with friends who've moved away because they've taken a new career. Friends in this series, adults, young adults who move away for the ideal job and they move to a new city, and slowly they disengage from their Christian community and they don't seek it out anymore in their new places. And I've seen it time and time again where they slowly disconnect themselves and choose to unfollow Jesus because they've sought a career and have not sought faithful Christian community in the new place that God has called them. Times of transition raise questions and they create opportunities for us to follow or unfollow Jesus. Trouble is the same way. In times of trouble, we're prone to unfollow Jesus because we question God's goodness and his presence in our lives when we're in a season of trial and pain. I've seen this a lot with friends who've wrestled with unanswered prayer. They don't like the circumstances that they find themselves in, and they've been praying for change, but God doesn't seem to give them the change that they've been praying for. The prayers go unanswered, and some friends have chosen to unfollow Jesus. I've seen friends drift from following Jesus 
during periods of under, underemployment or unemployment. I've seen friends that are tired of their situation and singleness decide not to wait on God but to take things into their own hands. I've seen people tempted to unfollow Jesus when they're met with sickness, disease, or a death in the family. And I've certainly seen people choose to unfollow Jesus because of a moral failure which they've witnessed among a Christian leader. Like these are times of troubles, and in times of troubles, it's a perfect opportunity to be tempted to turn away from Jesus because it raises questions and creates the opportunities to follow or to unfollow. And third, there's temptation. In times of temptation, we're prone to unfollow Jesus because we want something more than we want Jesus. I've seen this with friends who've been tempted to do something that they knew would damage their faith and damage their relationships. I've had friends go discontent in their singleness and then choose to get into relationships with people who aren't following Jesus, and before you know it, they're not following Jesus either. I've had friends who've been tired of monogamy and have chosen to embrace extramarital affairs and have unfollowed Jesus. I've seen people give themselves to substances, give themselves to careers and addictions and pursuits that lead them away from following Jesus. Like these times of temptation, things that are put before us that we choose to do or we choose not to do. We follow or we unfollow. So it's these times of transition, these times of trouble, and these times of temptation that give us the most opportunity to choose. Are we going to follow or not follow? Given that we're going to face those things often, you might be saying to yourself, well, then how? Like, how can we develop a faith that will let us cling and continue to follow Jesus? Well, that's what we turn to next in the story. This is the, this is the, the few verses that I love so much, been so meaningful to me. In verse 60, Jesus turns to them. You can kind of feel it like in his voice, discouraged at those who had left, turning to those that are closest to him. We don't know the tone, but I, I see it as just a sweet tone where he asks them, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12, and then Simon answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So here you've got Peter, <laughs> normally the first to speak, which also means he's normally to get things wrong right away, right? But here, he says something so profound. Now, you have to, to, to understand this, the, what he said, you have to kind of get into the head of Peter. Because remember, Peter wasn't unlike the rest of the crowds that wanted him to be king. Like, Peter didn't understand the full scope of what Jesus was trying to do. This isn't even before Jesus tells him real specifically, like, I'm going to go to the cross. And, Jesus, and Peter says, no, you're not. Like, Peter doesn't get it. So Peter doesn't understand exactly what Jesus is talking about with this, eat my flesh and drink my blood. He doesn't quite get it. He wanted Jesus to be king too. And so you've got to get the heart of Peter right here is Peter is equally, uh, equally disappointed with this direction that Jesus is going. He's at the height of his popularity, and now he said some stuff that's turning people off. And so he's confused. He's questioning. He's doubting. He doesn't quite get what he says. He's not theologically sound on what this means. Yet in the midst of his disappointment, the confusion of this teaching, Peter was able to, like, hold on to the confusion and the questions that he had many, I'm sure. But he was also to weigh it against the evidence of all that he had seen and heard of Jesus. He was able to take this little bit of doubt, but then he was able to look back and reflect on who this was he was following and what all had he seen, what all had he experienced, and weigh it out and see what would happen. I believe in, Jesus, in Peter's mind, what he did is he actually played things forward. That's why we would ask this question like this. That's why we would answer, Lord, to whom shall we go? You're thinking, well, I got some questions right now, but 
Let me play this out. Who else would I follow? Where else would that lead us? And I think we'd do well to do the same when we're tempted to unfollow Jesus, to pause for a minute and let it play out. Think about it. If you're going to unfollow Jesus, it doesn't mean that you're just neutral. It doesn't mean that you're just kind of in a holding pattern. When you choose to unfollow Jesus, you are choosing to follow something else. You're choosing to embrace a different ideology. You're choosing to embrace a different identity. You're choosing to embrace a different lifestyle. You are saying, I am going to unfollow Jesus because I'm going to do this instead, even if the thing that you're choosing is to obey yourself, to serve yourself and put yourself in the place of God in your life. Like when you choose to unfollow Jesus, play it out. Who are you going to follow? Where's it going to go? Where's it going to lead? Look at the lifestyles and look at the consequences of the people who have chosen to unfollow Jesus in your life and, and play it out and say, is that what you want to do? I believe that Peter had played it out. And so he responds with this just wonderful response. Lord, to whom else shall we go? Who else are we going to follow? This is a phrase that's been particularly meaningful to me because I can think there's been times in my life when I've experienced transition trouble or temptation personally. And in those times, I've been prone to, to question the goodness of God or the love of God. In those times, I may have been exhausted by unanswered prayers I've been tempted to unfollow. In those times, I've wondered how a loving God could allow certain things to happen to me or to happen to other people. In those times, I've butted up against some of Jesus' teachings and found them challenging and myself unwilling to try to live by them. In those times, I've been tempted by the pleasures of the world and the beliefs of the world and how easy it would be just to fall into the ways of the world. But each time, often not right away, <laughs> but often, I come back and I say the same thing. Lord, to whom else shall we go? Lord, to whom else shall we go? In fact, if you're willing, you don't have to, but if you're willing, would you say that with me? Lord, to whom else shall I go? One more time. Lord, to whom else shall I go? In essence, what Peter was saying here is we've seen too much, man. We've seen too much of Jesus. We have seen too much to turn our backs on him now. We may have the question that we have right now about what this teaching is, but we've seen too much. We've seen Jesus' teachings. We've seen the miracles. We've seen his healings. He's used us to heal other people. Our lives were changed. We practiced his teaching, and it worked, and it changed us. We've seen other people's lives changed. We have seen and know that this man is God. Let me ask you, how much have you seen of God, experienced of God, that would take you to the edge of not wanting to turn back? In these times of temptation, what you need to do is you need to reflect back on all that God has done in your life and say, no, I've seen too much. I've seen too much to turn back. I've experienced too much to not believe anymore. I may hold this question and have this doubt, yet I'm not going to betray the one who's given me so much. I've seen and experienced too much, which is exactly why Peter could say with these very confident words, you have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. Like you've just seen too much. We believe. You do have these words. This whole argument was about how you get eternal life, and Peter's proclamation is real simple here. You have the words of eternal life. We've seen it, and not only that, we've come to believe, and not only believe, we know that you're the Holy One of God. We can't turn our backs on you even if we have questions. I find this particularly comforting because we're always going to have questions. Do you believe that? Like you're always going to have questions, whether it's particular scriptures that you're wrestling with or a circumstance in your life and you're kind of trying to interpret what is God doing in this situation. You're always going to have these questions. And sometimes the questions won't get answered this side of heaven. Like you're not going to get an answer. 
Other times, and maybe this is even worse, the answer is given, but the answer is not what you want. The answers, though, aren't what we really want. What we really want is we want to be in relationship with the one to whom has already given us so much. Even in those times of doubt, can you ask with the little faith that you have that same question, to whom shall I go? What I find particularly different in our situation compared to Peter's, and this is profound and how I want to end today, like the thing is with Peter, he was questioning all this without knowing what was going to happen. But we're actually on this side of the cross. Being on this side of the cross, if we, we can approach these questions and these teachings of Jesus with a completely different mindset. Because on this side of the cross, we know what Jesus said. We know what he meant by eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It meant believing that he was the way to eternal life. We know that we know that we know that Jesus loves us because he died for us. Peter didn't even have that, yet he was able to hold that. Yet we can hold this incredible truth, our doubt here, but the preponderance of all the evidence ultimately that Jesus would die for us. Not only that, that Jesus would rise from the dead, proving that he was the one who could give us eternal life. Like we've got all of that stacked against whatever temptations may lead us to consider unfollowing. To me, that's very powerful. So without a doubt, even though there's questions that I have, I can always bring myself back to say, Jesus loves me. He died for me. Jesus is the way to eternal life. He rose from the dead. Like this much, I know. One of my favorite books of all time is this uh, book, Disappointment with God by Philip Yancey. Um, in the book, he tells a story of a college student who actually wrote a paper on the book of Job, like a very difficult book in the Old Testament. He wrote a paper on it. The professor at Wheaton College contacted Yancey, this you know, really famous author, and said, hey, this guy wrote this, and it's really good. You should, con- you should read it and consider making this a book with this guy. So Yancey meets with the student, and they develop this whole plan, and they're actually going to release this as a book. But right before it was about to be released, this guy calls Yancey and says, nope, I don't believe any of that anymore. I've unfollowed. I don't believe it. It goes into a pretty radical story of situations that happened. They, they were very, very much transition, uh, trouble, and temptation to the point where this guy that actually wrote this book, there's all those Bibles in his books, and he burns them all. And so Yancey was just flabbergasted by this. He couldn't understand how someone could do this. And so he went up to the mountains and spent weeks just reading the Bible cover to cover, trying to ask the three questions. He calls it in the book, the three questions that everyone asks but no one wants to say. And the three questions are, is God unfair Is God silent and is God hidden? So he went away for a year and read the whole Bible cover to cover trying to ask those same questions. Is God unfair? Is God silent? Is God hidden? And ultimately what he gets to, um, at least the most meaningful part to me among many other things, is that God's not primarily because we have a God who actually entered our world in the same temptations, the same trials, the same troubles, the same transition, literally, Like, we have a God who entered that with us. And for me, whenever I'm in these periods of wanting to unfollow, that's the thing that always brings me home. That we have a God who came to earth and went through the same transitions, trials, and troubles that we went through, yet he stayed faithful to follow his Father. That makes me want to follow him. One of the chapters, uh, Yancey closes this way. From the Old Testament, we gain much insight into what it feels like to be God. But the New Testament records what happened when God learned what it felt like to be human. Whenever we feel, whatever we feel, God felt. Instinctively, we want a God who does does not only know about pain, but shares it. We want a God who is affected by our own pain. 
the young theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer scribbled a note in a Nazi prison camp, quote, only the suffering God can help. Because Jesus, we have such a God. The book of Hebrews reports that God can now sympathize with us in our weaknesses. The very word expressed how it is done, sympathy, comes from the two Greek words, simp, or sim and pathos, meaning to suffer with. Would it be too much to say that because of Jesus, God understands our feelings and disappointments with him? How can we interpret his tears and his cry on the cross? One can almost pour out these questions in this book in that dreadful cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God's son, quote, learned obedience from his suffering, says Hebrews. A person can only learn obedience when tempted to disobey, can only learn courage when tempted to flee. Why didn't Jesus brandish a sword at Gethsemane or call the legions of angels? Why didn't he decline Satan's challenge, or why did he decline Satan's challenge to dazzle the world? For this reason, if he had done so, he would have failed the most important mission, to become the one of us, to live and die as one of us, the only way that God could work, quote, within the rules he had set up from creation. All through the Bible, especially in the prophets, we're at conflict with a raging uh, conflict raging within God. On one hand, he passionately loves his people that he's made. On the other, he had a terrible urge to destroy the evil that's enslaved them. On the cross, God resolved that inner conflict. For there, his son absorbed the destructive force and transformed it into love. To whom shall we go? If not to a God who's experienced all of this with us, to whom else should we go? So where are you today? Maybe you're in a place where you're actually in, like, transition or temptation or trouble. If not, I'll tell you that you're going to be. You're going to be in a place of transition and trouble and temptation. But I just want to urge you to hold on to Jesus because he's held on to you. Hold on to him because the preponderance of everything is that Jesus loves you. And that he rose from the dead so he can provide that eternal life for you. When tempted, let's choose to follow Jesus. So Peter, on that day, he didn't really get the illustration, right? Yet he still chose to hold on to Jesus. And Jesus is so gentle and great with his disciples, he pulls them aside later. And one time gives even greater explanation to what this really meant. Because on the last night that he was with them, he explained what he meant in that day when he was teaching in the synagogue. With his closest disciples, he says it again, like, I'm going to share this meal with you, and this is my body, which is broken for you. And he gives them bread to eat, symbolizing that he was going to die for their sins. And he gives them the cup. He says it's a covenant of the, of the, the it's the blood of the covenant, of the new covenant, that this is a way that you can know that you can have redemption. That God can give you eternal life by receiving him because of what Jesus has done, that he is the bread of life for us. So as he clues in communion, Let's reflect on both of those passages, the way that Jesus would say that this is how we get eternal life, by believing that he is the bread of life, and let's receive it like he taught his disciples to receive it and to do it in remembrance of him. I hope that as you do so and as we sing these songs, these songs are going to lead us to, to greater faith and, and lead us to sing songs of faith. Let's tell God that we want to follow him. Let's resist all temptation to unfollow. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would give us the favor to ask that question, to whom shall we go when we're faced with our own temptations to unfollow you? 
I pray, Lord, for us here at Midtown Church that you would keep our hearts and that we would all stay faithful in following you by your good grace. Even in this passage, Jesus said that the Father was the one who would need to draw us to him. And so, Father, we ask that you would draw us all to you in faith and belief. As we take communion, let us do so in a worshipful way that remembers you and what you've done to secure eternal life for us. As we worship, let these words go to our hearts, and as we sing them over each other, increase our faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org. 